Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Michael Beller here with Derek Van Riper. It is Monday, April 27th, the start of a new week, and we have a bonus episode for you this week. But first, let me introduce my co-host, Derek. How are you doing today? Doing great, Beller. Uh, I'm just happy to have nice weather here in the Midwest. I think that's a, a mood lifting thing that I've been waiting for for a few weeks. It kind of gives me hope that there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel that might include some 2020 baseball that it was a little harder to actualize a couple of weeks ago when it was still late winter, mediocre spring. It kind of feels like we're pushing closer to summer already. Yeah, it really does. Uh, Derek and I both uh, live in the upper Midwest, and so we both got to enjoy weather like that over the weekend and starting our week here on Monday as well with some sunshine. So hopefully you're right about that light at the end of the tunnel, including a little bit of baseball in 2020. We would all be happy to see that. Another person who we know would be happy to see that, Derek, is our special guest for this bonus episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. He is the Padres closer, Kirby Yates. Now, Derek and I recorded this uh, this interview excuse me, last week on Friday with Kirby Yates. We're bringing you the full episode here today on Monday. So without further ado, let's talk with Kirby Yates. Kirby, how you doing? Thanks for joining us today. I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hope you guys are doing well also. Yeah, we're doing well. We are uh, finding the fun and talking baseball. Hopefully you're doing the same as well. Obviously, uh, we wish you were out there playing baseball. I'm sure you do too, but uh, we're still finding what we can to talk about. So we're, we're very happy uh, to have you on here. We want to uh, want to start talking about you specifically, Kirby, and uh, talk about some of uh, your, your pitch mix. Uh, go back a, a couple of years. Uh, in 2017, uh, Baseball Savant had you at a 26.7% slider per rate and a 10.9% splitter rate. 2018, you flipped that completely on its head. 5.4% slider, 36.3% split. Last year, 42% split. It's one of the best splitters in the majors. It's one of the best pitches in the majors. It's a famously tough pitch to master. How did you do it in such short order? Um, you know, I think you know, it's kind of all by, I, I would say, design in a way. Um, it's kind of interesting because going into 17, you know, I wanted to introduce it and I wanted to, uh, you know, throw it and see how it was. And it's funny how the percentages kind of play out the way they are. It's because – you know, you go into a season. It's never like, "Hey, I'm going to try and throw this this 10 percent of the time." Mm-hmm. It's I'm going to I'm going to pick my spots to kind of throw this and try and get comfortable with it. And you know, I I felt like towards the end of 2017 that, um, you know, I, I was comfortable enough to start throwing it, and I started throwing it a lot more. I I think in September. I, I'm not sure if I threw a slider in uh, September of 17 or August of 17. Um, you know, I was primarily fastball split because I, I felt confident in it and you know going into 18 I knew it was my uh it was my best out pitch and I, I still wanted to throw my slider and pick the spots and you know in 19 I had or last year I had you know such a good feel for it to where I'd never really necessarily felt like I ever had to throw a slider because if I needed to throw an off-speed pitch for a strike I could throw my split kind of where I wanted it and um you know and I, I think in that it it, it complements my fastball very well. It, um, you know, I think they come out on the same plane. And I, I think for the most part, it was never a, really a tough pitch for me to kind of uh, throw in, in a way. And once once I've kind of figured out how to get consistent movement with it, it was just about trying to kind of get command. And, you know, it's just a grip and throw fastball. And, um, 
you know, trying to get movement. And I know when, uh, if I can get movement, it's going to probably end up in a, in a decent spot to where it's either going to be a strike or in a, in a spot where a hitter has to swing. And I think that's kind of, that, that's been the best thing for it. Do you generally feel better about your stuff on days when guys are, are missing stuff out of the zone or when they're chasing pitches that are in the zone and unable to connect? I, I, personally, I like what, if I go back and watch videos of when I'm throwing, I, I think when I'm getting swinging misses in the strike zone, um, to me, that, that, that's big league stuff in a way. I think, you know, I think to be a big league pitcher, you have to find ways to get guys to miss stuff in the strike zone because they're very good at identifying pitches out of the strike zone and, and, and shutting down stuff that, you know, in the dirt. And, um, a lot of times the pitches that are, you know, really good pitches still, but maybe just out of the strike zone that they kind of hold up on. And, you know, so I think when I'm able to start beating guys in the zone and get swinging misses in the zone, I think that's, you know, that's when I'm kind of on and that's when my stuff's the most crisp. It tied into that in the, in the fantasy baseball world, we talk a lot about metrics like, you know, in zone contact rate, in zone whiff rate, chase rate uh is that something that you think about at all uh, when you do you actually look at those numbers even though i mean you know they exist obviously the way that there's been this huge diffusion of information in the baseball world these days but is that something that you actually sit down and consider and, and consider how it is uh helping you find success or do you just watch the tape and go out and do what you do yeah i, I don't really pay attention to a whole lot of the numbers um you know, I, I really couldn't tell you any of those numbers are even probably what they mean, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, you know, for me, for me, the biggest, like, importance is being able to locate a fastball. And, you know, um, the game's been around for a very long time, and it has changed a little, but it it really hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, it's still... The concept of pitching is still the same. You know, you have to get ahead, get get hitters into bad counts and put them away. And for me, it's, you know, I have to be able to locate a fastball because that helps me be able to dictate at bats. And it helps me be able to set up my split. You know, I have to be able to throw my fastball where I want. That way I can kind of set up hitters and, you know, at least dictate at bats and, and be comfortable enough to where if if I do get behind, I have options to where I can go. And that, and that only that only happens if you can kind of locate fastballs and have an idea of you know places that you can go to where you know hitter might not necessarily do damage in that spot. And um, you know you have to identify those and you have to be able to execute. Which to me is it's kind of that's just kind of revolves around pitching a little bit. Kirby, we've heard a few different proposals in the last few weeks about ways the season might happen in some sort of condensed form, in a split between Arizona and Florida, or entirely in Arizona. And it led me down this path of wondering, just Arizona, conditionally speaking, how is it for you as a pitcher? Is it a difficult place to pitch? Because I've heard in the past, at least pre-Humidor, for some pitchers, that Chase Field was one of their least favorite places to pitch because it's so hard to grip the ball. What has been your experience pitching in Arizona over the years overall? Yeah, um, it is. I mean, the, you know, the air's dry. And, like, I got I got dry skin as it is when I'm out, out in Arizona just because, you know, I grew up in humidity. I grew up in Hawaii. So I never used lotion or anything like that growing up. And then you come <laughs> to the desert where, you know, a couple of days here, two or three days here, and your skin's already dried out. Um, 
and then you know you got a grip of baseball which it makes it a little difficult and then on top of that um you know the ball travels pretty well here and i mean chase you can kind of see it even in spring training you don't necessarily have to go to chase field but you know the balls balls do fly a little bit um you know it's, it's definitely a good place to hit and uh you know chase field one of the things too with chase field the infield is a little quick so you know, there there was hits and stuff like that. It's definitely it's definitely not the easiest place to pitch in the big leagues, but you know what? I mean, everybody's got to do it. It's a it, you know, I think if everybody's out here and everybody's do it, it's a it's fair game, and it's just it's one of those things that you know, there's going to be elements that you're probably not accustomed to, but you're going to have to probably get you know, you're probably going to have to get used to it pretty quick, and you, you just have to deal with it and. Uh, you know, you make adjustments and it's kind of like anything else. I think, you know, after a little while you'll, you'll, you'll understand what to do. And I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. It's obviously any situation that we get put in this year is probably not going to be ideal. Um, And uh, you just have to deal with it. Thinking about what this season could look like just from the Padres perspective, obviously uh, some big moves in the last couple of off seasons, Manny Machado's there. Fernando Tatis looks like one of the most, exciting young players in the game. You know, Tommy Pham added this offseason. Uh, who's a teammate of yours that we don't hear as much about, but we should be excited about because they have a very bright future and they're on the brink of making an impact? I, I, I think if you look at our starting rotation, um, you know, I think we have a really underrated starting rotation. I think we got, you know, we got guys at the top of the rotation that we haven't had in the past here for like the last two or three years. And, um, you know, you look at a guy like Denelson Lamette, who, when he came back from Tommy John last year, was he was pretty effective. And, you know, even, uh, you know, if you look at before he uh, got hurt and blew out in, um, you know, that second half of the season he had his rookie year was very impressive. And, you know, you also got Garrett Richards, who is healthy, and he's proven when he's healthy, he, he's a, you know, he's a big league starter. And that's... Um, you know, that's something to go along with the other three guys in there with Paddock. And, you know, we, we, we know what Paddock did last year. And, um, you know, the reins will be off him this year, and he's going to get a chance to go pitch a full season. And, you know, you got Davies, who's a, he's a quality uh, big league starter, as well as Joey. And I, I think, to me, that that's one of the most exciting parts of the team. I mean, you know, people talk about the bullpen that we built. And, you know, yes, it is a very, very talented bullpen, but I think what's going to complement that bullpen is the starting rotation being what it is and, you know, kind of being one of those strengths of those teams that we can kind of, kind of lean on and uh, pick them up when we need to. I think that's, uh, that's very exciting. Love hearing you say Denelson Lamette's name to that uh, question, Kirby. He's a guy who uh, we've been very excited about, uh, really just in the entire baseball watching community, certainly the uh, fantasy baseball community, very excited about his, his swing and miss stuff. So happy to say that, see that uh, someone who's maybe got a little bit more of an inside look and a little bit better of a, a grasp on the game uh, is feeling the same way. Uh, sticking, with the, uh, sticking with the Padres, you've, you've played with a handful of teams in your career, Yankees, Rays, Padres, uh, in terms of coaching and player development, uh, how much have the approaches varied depending on where you've been? It's a lot. It's, um, you know, you go from somewhere like Tampa, who that's where I got called up and that's where I, you know, I spent my, my minor league career basically. And, you know, they're very hands-on and they're very, um, 
you know, they coach you all the way through. And, um, you know, I don't really know exactly anywhere else in the minor leagues because I never really played a substantial amount in the minor leagues and any other of the organizations. Um, but I do know that tempo was what I learned there, uh, definitely stuck with me for the rest of my career. I think, you know, they're probably one of the best at developing young talent, as you can see. I mean, every year they're, you know, they're pumping out dudes. And, um, you know, the Yankees were very hands-on and very helpful too. And, uh, as long as everywhere, every, every organization has like a different way of doing things. And, um, it's just, it's a very, very interesting dynamic when you go and you get to see other places in the, you know, the way they do things. And it's, um, you know, I'm very fortunate. And I, I mean, it was rough at the time, you know, bouncing from organization to organization, but, you know, I, I learned a lot in doing that. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, kind of a blessing to disguise because you get to see the way uh, different organizations work and you get to, you know, kind of make your own opinions on uh, what you think's right and what you don't and what you like and what you don't like and what works for you and, and uh, kind of what doesn't. So, you know, I, I think that's, um, that's one of those things that I can take away from that. Kirby, we got one last question for you. Our colleague, Dennis Lynn, who covers the Padres, said that we couldn't let you go without asking about your wife's podcast, <laughs> F-Bomb Moms. What's up with that show? Because that's a great name for a podcast. Uh, it's, um, you know, she's she's getting a lot of steam for this. So a lot of people are starting to ask about it, and she's uh, she <laughs> like it, yeah. Her and her two friends uh, from high school, they haven't seen each other for about 10 years, and um, they've both like the, all three of them had kind of gone through something in their life that, you know, it's kind of a little life altering and they decided to start a podcast and, you know, talk about motherhood and try and just kind of shed a bright light on, you know, the difficulties in being a mom and what's going on in the world and just kind of give their take on it. And it's, um, you know, it's more, it's more of an upbeat podcast and more try to get people to laugh and have a good time. And, uh, you know, make people feel good about themselves. And they, and it's been going good for, you know, for a while now. And, um, you know, I'm proud of her. She's locked in on it. It's, it's, uh, she's, she's all about it. And, you know, I've tuned in a few times and it, it's, I got to say some of it's pretty funny. Um, I can't give her too much credit, you know, cause then she's going to have a big head in the house and walk around <laughs> puffy chested and all that. But it's uh it's been good and I'm happy for her. So if your wives want to check it out, uh, let them know they might enjoy it. You know, give, give them a shout out on Instagram and, uh, you know, she'll tell you to write a review. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say this, uh, that is a much more cleverly named show than the athletic fantasy baseball podcast. They definitely have us uh, one up there. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but, you know, yours actually has, you know, it's right to the point. You, you know, Ben <laughs> wants straight to the point. You know exactly what we're going to get. It's the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You can appreciate that. There you go. That's what we were going for. So uh, happy that uh, you're on board with it. Uh, Kirby, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to speak with us here today. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks again to Kirby Yates for joining us last week and spending some time during his quarantine schedule to talk with us about uh, his career path, his breakout, uh, his his splitter, everything that's happened to him, and his hopes for a 2020 Major League Baseball season. That talk with Kirby got us thinking about players who could follow perhaps a similar path. Uh, you know, Kirby Yates uh, was a, a solid relief pitcher for Tampa and for the Yankees, but really took off when he mastered 
the split finger fastball that has turned him into one of the very best closers in the majors. And so we thought, who else could follow a path like that? Maybe master a new pitch or perfect one already in their arsenal and break out. And we're going to spend the rest of this episode highlighting guys who could maybe do that. So DVR, I'm going to throw this to you first. Give us a candidate that you think could follow Yates' example. You know, Oliver Drake is a guy who has bounced around what feels like the entire league the last couple of seasons, which is interesting because you have to have something teams find interesting in order to mm-hmm. be claimed that many times and to be acquired that many times, but you also have to have a flaw that allows you to become available that many times. And, uh, you know, Kirby Yates was a bit of a journeyman for a couple of years, bounced around from you know, Tampa Bay to. Uh, the Yankees, to the Angels, and then eventually to the Padres. And sometimes it just takes that extra bit of coaching or that extra opportunity to work on a new pitch to actually unlock everything. And uh, Oliver Drake's splitter's not new, but he threw it more than ever when he was with the Rays last season, and it's actually a really good pitch. Uh, has a few other interesting things he can do on occasion as well. It just seems like the the movement that he gets on that split finger is basically untouchable. The main flaw right now is the home run rate. So if you're looking for just a, a long-term player to keep an eye on, not necessarily someone to draft, but a, a journeyman-type reliever who keeps landing in different opportunities, and it's been a couple of what I would consider smart teams who have been rostering him most recently with the Rays, the Twins, and the Brewers all having having Oliver Drake on their roster within the last three seasons. He's one of those guys that if it all starts to click – I actually think there's a chance that he becomes a, a late inning weapon and, and possibly a closer at some point in the future. And see, that's a I mean, that's a great guy for for this exercise, right? Because I mean, who would have been talking about Kirby Yates as? Uh, one of the lockdown closers of the league just a few years ago, and now he is, you know, maybe the best closer in the majors. Certainly one of the three best. Uh, so that's exactly the sort of guy that we're looking for for this exercise. And we, as we talked about with Yates, the splitter is the sort of pitch I think that can really turn a pitcher from someone that is you know stuck in middle relief and you know not really anything more than a guy who you throw in there in the the fifth inning or the sixth inning or whatever to get a couple of outs and then you know go on his merry way into a real back end of the bullpen weapon because of how effective of a pitch it is and because of how few guys throw it it's just not something that a lot of hitters across the league are going to get to see time and time and time again it's just uh, an offering that you're just not going to see from a ton of, of pitchers so the few guys who can and master it and totally get it down, I think are at a competitive advantage, especially when we're talking about guys in the bullpen because they have even fewer opportunities to expose themselves to hitters. So I do think that this is someone who, if he can get that pitch down, certainly can be someone who ends up following a typical, or not a typical, but the similar path to what we saw uh, from Kirby Yates uh, once he got his way to San Diego and became that elite closer that we know him to be going into the 2020 season. Uh, When you say keep an eye on him, uh, do you mean just watch the early season performance? Is he someone who you take a speculative add on, even if he isn't in that late inning role? I think it's more of a... If there's turmoil in the Rays' bullpen with regard to the close rule and Drake's pitching well and everyone goes out and throws all their fab money at Jose Alvarado or Diego Castillo or whoever we think the closer's going to be, I would throw the min bid at Oliver Drake if I were chasing saves as a contingency plan just in case he's the guy because they're a particularly difficult team to read. And I think the interesting thing with Drake 
is that you know he's always had the splitter, started throwing it more last season. He's adding velocity. And when we talked to Kirby Yates, the key was uh, having uh, the fastball and splitter working off of each other. And you have to get to a certain point with velocity where there's enough of a, a difference between your two primary pitches as a reliever where you know, the splitter, aside from having that nasty movement, also throws off the timing in a big way compared to the fastball. So the, the bigger the delta, the bigger the gap between four-seamer and splitter, the better. And we saw a career-high 93.5-mile-per-hour fastball from Oliver Drake last season as well. Yeah, something else to keep in mind with that team, too, is a team that's not afraid to get aggressive with its bullpen usage. So, you know, Nick Anderson could do very well for them, and they could still diversify at the back end of the bullpen. Nick Anderson could struggle, and they could go closer by committee. They always find a way. It's a very smart organization across multiple regimes that has found a way to get the most seemingly out of every single player on the roster. So it's just another feather in the cap of Oliver Drake and Diego Castillo, Jose Alvarado for that for that uh, measure as well. Guys who uh, maybe don't close at all this season but still could bring you some value in the fantasy world. Um, I'm going to take us to the total opposite end of the spectrum from, uh, from Oliver Drake. And I'm going to say a guy who is very established uh, but maybe – can find a level of consistency in 2020 that we haven't seen from him for some time. And we know if he does find that level of consistency, he is one of the very best starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. And that is you, Darvish, also because of the splitter. Now, this is a pitch that he'd thrown previously in his career, uh, never for a huge percentage, but... You know, 2013, 2014, 20, he, the, the pitch that he's going to throw, you know, 3, 4, 5% of the time. Then suddenly, uh, for a few years there, it totally went away. We didn't see Yu uh, Darvish throw a splitter. We throw, saw him sparingly throw a changeup. You know, those are pitches that you, you expect a pitcher to have at least one of, especially a starting pitcher and especially someone like Yu Darvish who has maybe the most diverse arsenal in all of the majors. And, and he just never really threw either of those pitches over the previous couple of seasons. But then in 2019, the split makes a triumphant return for him. Now still, just at 4%. So it wasn't like it was something he was leaning on in any big way, but it was a very effective pitch for him. Uh, hitters had just a 111 batting average against it, a 278 slugging percentage. Uh, Statcast had it at a 119x batting average and a 39.2% whiff rate, uh, the uh, tied for the highest whiff rate in his arsenal along with his slider. We know how effective of a pitch that can be for Darvish. Now, obviously, part of the reason it had such a high whiff rate was because of the small sample size, and we would expect that if he does throw it more, that that whiff rate is going to come down. But I look at that, a 40% whiff rate, every five times he throws it, he's getting a swing and a miss twice, Derek, and I see something that maybe develops into a real weapon for him, and with someone who is never afraid to change up his arsenal, a famous tinkerer like Darvish, I wouldn't be surprised to see him lean more into that offering this season. I kind of wonder over time who's thrown a wider variety of pitches in major league games, you Darvish or Trevor Bauer. I mean, <laughs> those guys just have bottomless arsenals. And I think with Darvish, I mean, the splitter being a really nasty sort of, I'll call it a long tail pitch just because it was so low in relative usage to everything else he brings. It makes you wonder, is he going to dust that off and, and use it even more because it was so effective? Uh, the change in cutter usage for him in 2019 was also pretty staggering if you look at his pitch percentage by season chart over at baseball savant usually that cutters in the 10 to 20 percent range most years last season that spiked up to 36.5 percent that was his most used pitch used it a lot against lefties and it was outstanding aside from the fact that it was getting him plenty of strikeouts 
Uh, it was also inducing a lot of weak contact as well. So I think as a, a tinkerer who has plenty of good weapons and suddenly found a level of command that I don't think any of us previously even thought he had, Yu Darvish is a fascinating player for 2020. I think he's been a, a difficult player for some people to figure out this draft season. His April ADP in NFBC leagues is just outside the top 50 overall, so that puts him behind names like Blake Snell and Lucas Giolito and Chris Paddock, uh, just slightly ahead of, of Charlie Morton and Aaron Nola and Zach Grinke. Is that about right at this point, based on what we saw from from Darvish? Or do you actually think he's a little bit undervalued as a guy that has the ceiling of maybe being a top five or at least a top ten big league starter? You know, I, I think that it, that has to be considered about right just because of how up and down he has been in his career. And we are all ready to see second half U Darvish be a full season U Darvish in 2020, 2021 and going forward. But we can't just write off the first half when, I, I mean, he couldn't find the strike zone. And it seemed like every single start he made, it would be like four and two thirds, eight strikeouts, five walks, two or three runs allowed. And he kept getting into and out of trouble. But, I mean, that's just no recipe for success, even when you can get out of that trouble by missing as many bats as he was able to. I do take some solace, and I think everyone should, out of the fact that he made that dramatic change to the cutter because a slider has always been a go-to pitch for him, and that was really the pitch that got him into a ton of trouble with respect to issuing walks last season. Excuse me. Um, He kept on missing the zone, missing the zone, missing the zone, and refused to go away from the slider early in the season, and you understand why. It's been such a great pitch for him over his career, something that he was able to rely on, and it was still getting a ton of swing and miss, but it seemed like uh, opposing hitters finally caught on to the fact that he just couldn't command the pitch whatsoever. And once they started laying off slider, identifying slider, laying off slider, he started walking a lot of guys and had to come into the zone with some of his, you know, maybe not quite as uh, elite offerings, and that was when he started getting knocked around. So then you see him make the change to the cutter. Pitches that are similar in shape, similar in spirit, not quite the same offering, but one that you can sub in and out of and not really lose that brand of pitch in your arsenal. And that's when we saw him take off in the second half. So I think that is something that has to give you a lot of confidence that you go into this season and maybe though he deserves to be uh, where you mentioned on those ADP charts, we know that he has an extremely high ceiling. I don't think any of us would be surprised if uh, at the end of this season, you Darvish had the, you know, third, fifth, seventh, whatever it might be, best starting pitcher season in the fantasy world. Yeah, I mean, if you think about his second half last season and the likelihood that we're playing about a half season or maybe if we're really lucky, two-thirds of a season, uh, just imagine what he was doing in the second half last year over a full season. It'd be video game numbers over a a full, air quote, season. But uh, I've warmed up to Darvish a lot over the course of the last couple of months. I'm, I'm increasingly of the belief that some of those command gains are actually sustainable, and he's always had a mix of, of great pitches. So uh, just excited to see even more weapons in that arsenal right now. All right, who's someone else you want to throw into this discussion? So I'll keep working from the bottom of the list, and you, you can kind of work from the, the higher end of the draft <laughs> okay. pool. And we'll, we'll be mixing in some random names. I mean, like I said, Oliver Drake's not actionable, but I think the next guy might be. Uh, Tyler Molly doesn't have a starting job in Cincinnati yet, but... If anyone gets hurt in that rotation, he's the first guy in. Uh, If Wade Miley falters, if Anthony Descafani falters, I mean, I don't think those guys are so locked into the rotation that they just keep their jobs all season. I think a contending team like Cincinnati has to be quick to make changes in a shortened season. 
Uh, Molly's also in the started throwing more splitters club. Uh, really just a, a completely new pitch for him. Ditched the straight changeup for it. Uh, it had a lot of success. And it, kind of a similar story to Oliver Drake in that we saw a full uh, mile-per-hour increase on the fastball uh, from the previous season as well. So I think that just kind of gives him a better baseline to work off of. So you, know, you knock down the fastball usage. Uh, you increase the curveball usage as well. So it wasn't just a, a added the split finger. It was kind of change everything overall. Uh, so a 23% curveball usage, 12% split finger usage, reduced fastball usage. Everything Tyler Molly did last year was a good adjustment compared to what we saw from him previously in the big leagues. And I think this goes back to a point that I've tried to really hammer on throughout this draft season. The Reds get it with pitching. They have the former Brewers pitching coach, Derek Johnson, who they brought in last year. They had a lot of other pitchers, Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, take big steps forward last year. Molly didn't reach the same level as those guys, but he took enough of a step forward where he goes from a guy that I was pretty much ignoring in fantasy if he was in the rotation to somebody who I actually want on my teams, uh, even as maybe a stash in some deeper formats now because he's pretty much rebuilt at this point, and there's enough there weapons-wise for him to be at least an effective streamer, if not something more. Yeah, and it's it's a great point that you make, and you've made it a few times with these smart organizations and how they get it and how they uh, preach this uh, philosophy across their entire pitching staffs, and you see it uh, in more places than one and how that elevates every single player on that roster. I think that that has to have the league concerned about the Reds as a whole because if they add uh, something approximating 2018 Trevor Bauer to Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo, then you have uh, quite possibly the best one, two, three in the entire league, and, and then someone like Molly, who is uh, who has shown a willingness to make changes and ability to uh, effectuate those changes, uh, could end up adding to the bottom end of the rotation, as you say, uh, not uh, coming into the season with a for sure spot in the rotation. And maybe he never even does get a spot in the rotation, but the sort of guy I think who you pick at the fringes because of uh, the the perceived weakness of the four and five starters, or at least, as you said, someone or two guys who you know, aren't going to command a spot if they struggle to start the season, especially on a team that expects to contend as the Reds do. Um, and another guy who, as we've talked about figuring out this 2020 uh, plan and what the season might look like, could get a boost if these teams do end up playing in neutral sites and he doesn't have to deal with the bandbox of Great American Ballpark for half of his starts. Yeah, I mean, home runs have been a problem for him in each of the last two seasons, even as things were, were getting better for Tyler Molly in 2019. Uh, 1.74 homers per nine is a problem. Uh, they'd be pitching at the Red Spring Training Facility in Goodyear under one of those plans, so I mean, dry, hot conditions, but a level playing field compared to what right. the rest of the league would have to deal with on a regular basis in that scenario. It couldn't possibly be worse than Great American Ballpark. Maybe it's just as bad, but right, but relative, everyone else catches up in that way, and definitely not going to be worse uh, than it is for pitchers at Great American Ballpark, as we have seen uh, over the entire uh, lifespan of that one. So you said that I'm going to stay at the top, you're going to go to the bottom, I am going to go to the top, and this one is purely speculative. Uh, but as I was looking through this spreadsheet you put together for us, uh, Derek, before the show went and just using the Fangraphs data, uh, pulled together uh, these really nice filters that were able to see pitchers who uh, increased their percentage usage of every single pitch. And as I was looking at the changeup charts, one thing jumped out at me. It wasn't the pitchers, but it was the team. 
Uh, so the fifth most, the fifth highest increase in changeup usage across Major League Baseball last year belonged to Pedro Baez, reliever from the Dodgers. Now a, a lot of these guys, a lot of these charts are going to have relievers at the top of them, which makes sense if a reliever decides to use one pitch more often because of how many fewer pitches they throw relative to starters. They're going to just increase that percentage more. It's just how sample size works. So you go down the list a little bit farther, and when you start to see the starting pitchers come in. Two guys who made big changeup increases last year, Hyunjin Ryu and Kenta Maeda. Two guys who were on the Dodgers last year now have gone off to different teams, Ryu with the Blue Jays and Maeda with the Twins. But that shows an organizational commitment, perhaps, to the changeup. Now, Rick Honeycutt, longtime pitching coach for the Dodgers, uh, no longer the pitching coach. He is now working as a scout for the team. Mark Pryor taking over this season as the uh, pitching coach for the first year. But he spent the last two years in the organization as the bullpen coach, working under Honeycutt, learning from Honeycutt. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him embrace that same changeup philosophy that Honeycutt had instilled in this team. So now you take that further and look at the rotation. There's one guy who stands out, Derek, who does not throw any sort of diving off speed pitch like a changeup or a splitter and has still done pretty damn well for himself over the last few seasons, and that is Walker Bueller. Yeah, and so, I think, oh, I was going to say, with yeah, Bueller, I think the thing that's kind of interesting is that his fastball is outstanding. It's probably his best pitch. His slider's a good pitch. Uh, he got the cutter curveball that he mixes in a little bit, too. I mean, this is a guy that has a good arsenal, as it is, and the changeup would just kind of make him unfair, but it <laughs> does seem like something he should mix in a little bit. Throws his fastball about 60% of the time. You know, at this stage of his career, with premium velocity... That mix probably works. It may be something that he has to tinker with on and off for a couple of years before he really gets the feel for it or the the comfort level with the pitch to throw it a lot in games. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if they even begin that process with him in 2020 just because you don't want to learn the pitch when you have to. You'd rather kind of break it in over time than have to throw it 20% of the time right away just because your fastball has lost a few ticks, which should be a few years away for Bueller, but... Uh, just imagine him with one more above average pitch to work with. And that's why I'm thinking that maybe they, they embrace that for him this season. 25 years old, he's already as good as he is. Uh, I, I, it feels like the, the pitches that he has are what they are, and that is great. And he could go on with this arsenal and win Cy Youngs and make the All-Star team year after year after year and be uh, take that torch from Clayton Kershaw as the ace in Los Angeles and have just this monumental career without mixing in a changeup whatsoever. But it does feel like these pitches are totally established, and he's probably... He's unlikely, I'll say, to realize any gains, any bottom line gains from the other pitches that he already has established in his arsenal. If he's going to uh, do that with any pitch, I think it has to be something that is totally different from any other pitch that he throws right now, and that really is the changeup. He just doesn't have that sort of you know pitch that dives away from opposite siders in the way that a changeup or a splitter, but really for him it's going to be a changeup would do. And I think that that is something for him to explore, and it just makes but what the Dodgers have done in recent years with their other pitchers makes me want to bet on that being something that they at least try to work in. And it doesn't even need to be uh, right a, a great offering for him. Just imagine Walker Bueller with everything he already has and how impossible he already is to face. Just with another pitch you have to think about, even if it ends up just being a show pitch that he throws mostly 
to left-handed hitters. I mean, just think about that also having to be in your mind that if he falls behind 2-0, maybe I'm going to see a changeup here. If he gets ahead of me uh, 1-2, maybe I'm going to see a waist changeup that ends up looking like a fastball to me and becomes very hard to lay off. And just putting that kernel of doubt in the hitter's mind when you already are as good as Walker Bueller is can add so much, even if it's something he's only throwing 3-5% to of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a guy who can go through the lineup three times anyway. So just to give him one more weapon, maybe for that third time through, that might be the initial way they break that pitch in for him. All right, you got anyone else you want to uh, throw out into this discussion? You know, you put a guy on the outline who I I like quite a bit, so I'll I'll bring him up. uh, Luke Weaver, who was kind of a different pitcher compared to what we were seeing in St. Louis last season. Uh, Year one with the D-backs got hurt, and I think that's what really has left us wondering what we're going to get in 2020 from him. Just 12 starts, uh, but a 294 ERA, 107 whip. And the changes were pretty significant with him, as uh, you'd expect for someone that would come up uh, on this particular episode. Uh, But you look at the cutter from last season. That was the new weapon for him. Threw it 14% of the time. Probably a pitch that he'll continue to ramp up over time. I think the issue with Weaver is that he doesn't have top-end velocity. He has kind of league average sort of velocity, which is weird to say about a guy who averages 93.8 on his four-seamer. But he's probably a little further along the the curve than a guy like Bueller, where his secondary pitches are already going to be more important for him to have sustained success uh, at the big league level. So I think there's a lot to like with Weaver. Changed enough things up where I'm kind of buying into... Some of the success he had last year, I don't think he's a 294 ERA 107 whip guy over a full season, but I think there were people who were looking at him as a a bust, really, after his final season in St. Louis, and uh, if you told me he's going to pitch to maybe a 375 ERA, 120 whip, and close to a strikeout per inning over a full season, I wouldn't push back on that at all. Yeah, I I buy the changes that we saw from him last year. I buy the improvement that we saw. It would have been great to see him be able to finish that season fully healthy and see what a a full season of Arizona new look uh, Weaver looks like. Uh, But it still feels like the sort of guy who you want to be betting on, especially at ADP. No one's really forcing you to pay for him. I think you have plenty of competition for Luke Weaver at what his his ADP is, but it's not like you're being forced uh, to pay up for him really all that much. So he's someone who I've uh, found myself circling back to in a lot of drafts, someone who I'm comfortable uh, getting on my roster. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But you really didn't have to go the extra mile to get him on your team. But uh, another guy who, uh, because of what he came up as and the reputation he had before the trade to Arizona, then finding the success that he did before his injury with the Diamondbacks last year, the sort of guy who I feel pretty comfortable giving that leash to. So he's someone who I think uh, is certainly worth the draft day price and maybe the changes he made last year can help him find even another level here this year. I've got one more guy for you too and another guy who I'm going to continue with my theme. Not exactly going to be someone who you're sleeping on on draft day, but Lucas Giolito, someone who I really like coming into this year. A guy who I was very willing to keep giving the benefit of the doubt because of what his pedigree was coming up through the Washington system, never really getting a full season uh, in the majors until last year, and we saw what that uh, could be for him, uh, just putting it all together and achieving that front uh, front line of the rotation level that we always thought 
he was going to have. And for me, one of the big changes for him last year was with the changeup. Back in 2018, used it 15.7% of the time. Last year, 2019, 26.2% of the time. And again, a very effective pitch. Now, I will say, when hitters were able to hit it, they hit it pretty well. He gave up six homers on it, a 360 slugging percentage uh, with it. Right in line with uh, the, uh, his other offerings, a 364 slug on the four-seamer, a 362 slug on the slider. So when hitters did square it up, you know, they did some damage with it. But we'll take that when the batting average on the pitch is 190, the X batting average is 189, the whiff rate 41.3%. This is clearly a great weapon for him to use without the platoon advantage through it uh, 448 times to lefties, the second most uh, to any uh, two lefties behind, of course, the four-seamer. But he used it against righties as well. Wasn't afraid. Used the slider a little bit more against righties, but maybe not as wide a gap as you would expect to see for a pitcher who has a slider like Lucas Giolito does. Just about 75 more sliders he threw to righties than uh, change-ups last season. So I really like that. I like that it can be a weapon to both sides of the plate, to hitters on both sides of the plate, right? He can he can go inside with it, he can go outside with it. Showed a good command of it last season. And when you're getting a pitch that you're throwing 700-plus times to be whiffed on 41% of the time, that is something you have to feel awfully good about. He threw it way more, about double the amount of times in 2019 than he did in 2018. And that has to have you feeling very good about a guy who already had a pretty well-rounded arsenal before the changeup became a weapon for him. Yeah, and I think with Giolito, there's definitely a gap between projections and just what he was showing us. And I think it's because the pre-2019 numbers were so bad that projection systems can't just walk. They can't just like throw that out. They have to account for it. Right. So you see Steamer with like a 424 ERA and a 127 whip. You see ATC at 405 and 120 and Maybe 2019 is as good as it can be over a full season for Lucas Giolito, but he's an entirely different pitcher now than he was before last season. It's very easy to see that looking at uh, the skills metrics. I mean, the K rate was under 7 per 9 each of his first three seasons in the big leagues. The walk rate was about 10% over those three years combined. Uh, The home run rates were higher every year than they were last season for him so he completely reinvented himself and uh, I think if he didn't have that prospect pedigree it would be interesting to see how much later he'd be available in Mm -hmm. drafts but he's pretty consistently written that fringe for the top 50 overall part of that Paddock Snell cluster that I mentioned a bit earlier I think a lot of people always wonder who's the next Lucas Giolito who's the next guy who could reinvent himself and and follow in those footsteps and there may not be one there's not one guy like that each and every season, but if you had anybody that you're getting late who has that pedigree and just hasn't been able to put it all together and you think maybe they could be a breakout star of this season? I mean, I think you nail it in the fact that there just aren't really a whole lot of guys like that, right? I mean, it's the it's the pedigree that that's really what makes Giolito on top of what he did in 2019. And it's a reason why uh, I feel like I've been higher on him than most because of what you mentioned with the projection systems, right? I mean, they have to take into account what he did in that 2018 season. They have to take into account that it took maybe comparatively longer than a lot of people expected it to take for him to get to the level that he did last season. But for me, once a guy with Giolito's pedigree and with what he did in the minors gets it at the major league level, that's it. Like once he's got it, he's got it. He's. I don't think we're going to see any sudden regression from Lucas Giolito 
this season. So I've been aggressive in getting him. And, you know, I, I mean, I wish there were someone obvious at the back end of, uh, of uh, the draft charts that could fit this. But I really don't think I don't want to sit here and say that there's a Lucas Giolito that you have to be targeting because I think guys like that come around, you know, very infrequently guys who uh, have the pedigree he has and don't totally flame out or make it earlier than he did. It just feels like he is unique in that way. So I really don't see anyone who can fit that bill uh, in a, in the, the exact same way that Giolito did last season. Yeah, it's it's really tough. And I mean, aside from changing the pitches and, and going heavier with that changeup, which is such a good weapon for him, uh, it was a velocity jump of nearly two mm-hmm. full miles per hour on the fastball for Giolito. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you can't really expect it. You have to react to it when it happens during spring training. You can be on the lookout for stuff like that late in the previous season, though, too. I think that's one of the one of the things that I've learned in, in recent years is that sometimes pitchers make that adjustment on the fly in season, and then they carry it over. And there's a few guys like Joe Musgrove who I think it's reflected a bit in, in his price that, that maybe he unlocked something late last season. Uh, just at a glance, I mean, I think people keep hoping that Ronaldo Lopez could be that guy. Um, you know, clearly has good raw stuff, just doesn't have the command. But you have a great framing catcher in Yasmani Grandal behind the plate now, and you have a teammate who is able to put all the pieces together. I think you're looking for someone who has three usable pitches already, ideally has good velocity and doesn't need that jump and just needs to kind of put the package in, into better working order. And I think at the price, Ronaldo Lopez is on that short list of guys who I will throw that dart at because if it doesn't work, he's an easy cut. And I think he begins the year as someone who I trust to face at least the Royals and the Tigers and some of the mm-hmm. weaker teams in that division. I think it, as someone who else who follows the exact po- prospect pedigree profile uh, that Giolito came into the league with who hasn't been able to put it together yet. Maybe it's Andrew Heaney. Um, Injury obviously has been part of the story for Heaney, but this was a guy who was a top 10 pick uh, when he came out and and just uh, hasn't been able to have it fully for an entire season. We've seen some really impressive flashes from Heaney. I I think he still needs to make the changeup a pitch for him. We know what the two-seamer can be. We know what the curve can be. I think he really needs that changeup. I am not, I think you and I have talked about this before, but I am not very interested in lefties who don't throw changeups. I think they just have to face way too many right-handed batters to not have something like that to keep them honest. It's why I've never been a Robbie Ray guy. Now, obviously, it doesn't work entirely. Um, There are going to be some misses in there. There are going to be some blind spots uh, that I miss out on because of that. But I really think that a lefty, if they're going to be consistent at a high level, needs to have a changeup to keep right-handed hitters honest. I would love to see Andrew Heaney develop that and another guy who it would be a new pitch for him, right? So if he is able to develop that and now has a new weapon to go at righties with, then I could see him realizing the hopes that we have had for him in the fantasy community for a few years now. Yeah, and I think when that happens, aside from you know the weapon itself and, and the element of surprise of a new pitch, it just enables you to attack hitters differently with your other offerings. It makes other pitches more effective when mm-hmm. those pitches work well in tandem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, just the, the the tunneling that has become such a huge part of pitching these days and uh, you know the way pitches work in conjunction and the way they work off one another, the more you have and the more that you trust, the more that you can rely on, the better all those pitches 
work together and the more off balance you were able to keep hitters. And we know in baseball, that's the name of the game. Keeping hitters off balance, keeping them guessing, staying ahead of them mentally often is going to lead to those bottom line physical results. And with that, we are going to sign off for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, we have a few options for you. First, if you want to just give us a test drive, you can get a 90-day trial at theathletic.com slash free 90 days. If you are ready to jump in for a subscription, you can get 40% off if you go to theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. For Derek Van Riper, I am Michael Beller. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Wednesday, April 29th. We'll talk to you then. Thank you.